Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in Jesus. Please help us to understand more of your kindness towards us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be the kind of people that you rejoice in as we are trusting in Jesus and living for him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On Wednesday morning as I was uh, writing this talk and uh, wondering about uh, what sort of an introduction to give to it, I got a phone call. It was from an eminent Sydney oncologist, one of the most highly respected doctors in Australia. I said, how are you going? He said, oh yeah, practice is very busy. Uh, But he said, that's not what I'm ringing you for today. He said, I'm working today making telephone calls for Presbyterian youth. I want to tell you about a ministry that we're doing. And he uh, went on to do it and he sent me an email which I forwarded to you. After a while I said to him, you know, I'm just in the middle of writing a talk on Philippians chapter 1 and it's all about people being partners in the gospel and how how we can rejoice in that. I said, thanks for the way that you're taking time out to partner with Presbyterian youth in the work of the gospel. That's great. He said, yeah, I do enjoy it. I'm not sure how I got roped into it. So I think it's because uh, I started taking a morning off each week to teach scripture in our local school. Got really interested in ministry to young people. I saw that Prezi Youth were doing good work with young people and so I started to do volunteer work with them. Here he is, an eminent medical specialist. He's a family man, although his kids are pretty much grown up now. He's a diligent, faithful elder in his church. And each week he takes a morning out to teach scripture in the local school. And he often takes time out to work basically in a call centre for Presbyterian youth, not in India, but somewhere here locally. Don't you reckon that's great? I mean, this bloke could be making, what do your doctors charge, about a million dollars an hour or whatever it is that these doctors charge, but instead he takes time out to work for nothing, making phone calls and telling the young people in our schools about Jesus. I've got to say, I was thrilled to hear about it. Well, In this letter in the Bible, Paul is feeling a bit the same way about the Philippians. He's thrilled about them. He's rejoicing. He's rejoicing because of how they are serving Jesus, because of how they are partnering with him in the work of the gospel. And he talks about lots of ways that they partner with him as they pray for him and as they, uh, some of them work side by side with him and as they send him money. Well, let me give you a bit of background to this letter. Uh, did you see in our second reading just then, Paul and Silas and Luke went to Philippi on a mission trip. Philippi is a city in uh, modern day, it's in Greece. In Greece, uh, Back in Paul's time, it was, uh, it was a Roman colony, as it says there in Acts. Paul and his friends were Christian missionaries, and there in Philippi they did what they always did, they talked to people about Jesus. It wasn't all smooth sailing, as you'd have seen. Paul and Silas were put in jail, they were beaten up, but some people responded to their message. Who was there? There was uh, uh, Lydia and her family put their trust in Jesus, Maybe that slave girl who was delivered from the demon, we don't really know what happened to her. Who else was there? The the jailer, Philippian jailer and his family and some others not named. But through the ministry of of, uh, sharing the good news about Jesus, a church was born. Right from the start, these people supported Paul and encouraged him. You see straight away, Lydia wants them in her house, shows them hospitality. And that kept up with these Philippians. They kept in touch with Paul, they prayed for him. Some of them served with him as gospel workers and the church gave money to support his ministry. Well now, as Paul is writing this letter, he's in jail again. 
in jail again for telling people about Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly where he's in jail. Uh, Most commentators say Rome, and we'll look at that situation next week as we read Acts chapter 28. Uh, But some say Caesarea, not quite so many, but but some also say that he could have been in jail in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was in jail so many times for, for, for preaching Christ, it's hard to tell exactly where it was. But wherever it was, Paul's in jail, in chains. When the Philippians heard that he was in jail, they got straight to action. They pulled some money and they sent it off with a bloke called Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus went to Paul, he helped him, cared for him, and he passed on the money. Now, Epaphroditus himself, it seems, had got very sick on the journey. Paul says he nearly died. Now, the Philippians were very worried about him, and so when he recovered, Paul sent him straight back to Philippi, and with him he sent this letter. Now, Paul wished he could go to Philippi himself, but he couldn't, so he sent the letter instead. And in the letter, as we'll see over the next two months, Paul thanks the church for sending Epaphroditus and for supporting him. He thanks them for their prayers. He he comforts them as they also faced persecution. He warns them about some false teachers who've been making the rounds of the churches. Basically, it's a letter for him to encourage them to keep on going as a godly, united church. All right, there's some background. Let's, uh, Let's dive into the letter itself. Paul opens by introducing himself as the author. He's there with his friend Timothy and he says, he says that they are slaves of King Jesus. I don't know how you answer the question if somebody says to you, who who are you? Do you say, I am a builder, I am a... Well, Paul's self-identity is that he is a slave of the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants, literally slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul then addresses the people he's writing to. He's writing to the Christians in Philippi. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Now this word saint, it's a word that's got a bit of of history to it. it. It's a word that means literally a holy person, a person set aside for God. Now over the centuries, the church has come up with all sorts of funny ideas about saints. Some people uh, think that saints are some kind of especially holy Christians. So there's all sorts of debate at the moment, for example, about whether the last pope was a saint or not, and Mary MacKillop and all that kind of stuff. And the church has invented all sorts of rules about what makes a saint. They're supposed to have done miracles and stuff like that. In some sections of the church, they think that dead saints have some special favour with God, and so they pray to them and ask them to put in a good word with God for them. Uh, Some people think certain saints have certain powers, Uh, St. Christopher to protect them when they travel or or something like that. All sorts of shonky ideas have arisen about saints. But here in the Bible you can see the simple truth. A saint is someone who, as Paul puts it, is in Christ Jesus. That is, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are relying on Christ Jesus, you have been made holy. You have been set apart for God. You can't get any holier than being in Christ Jesus. So here's the truth. There's all sorts of rubbish that's taught about saints. As far as the Bible is concerned, if you are a Christian, then you're a saint. Saints aren't a special group of super-Christians, just Christians, ordinary Christians. Verse 1 again. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Paul also mentions the leaders of the church, the overseers, 
That's a word that means people who kind of look after the church, oversee the, the welfare of the church. Also a word, uh, he mentions the deacons. Deacons is a, it's a word that's a, it's a kind of a slave in, in, in those days, a, literally a table servant, something like that. So these are people who serve in the church. Uh, these overseers and deacons get a special mention because of their role, their service to the church. We don't know exactly what they did. Uh, probably some kind of leadership, maybe something like our, our elders and committee of management. Whatever it was that they did, Paul gives them a special mention. Verse 1 again. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Uh, Paul then greets the Philippians, uh, a greeting that is very theologically charged. He, he, uh, he wishes them grace and peace from God and Jesus. Of course, it's a very gospel-centered greeting, isn't it? Because... God has shown us grace, kindness, favour in giving Jesus to die for us so that now we have peace with God, our sin forgiven. Grace and peace from God and Jesus. Verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's uh, introductions out of the way. Paul now goes on to talk about these Philippians, to kick into the letter itself. Now, um, I don't know if you've done some thinking about some of the, the, the way that letters begin, but it gives you a clue very quickly about how Paul is feeling about the churches. So, for example, if you look at the letter to the Galatians, he just kicks straight into how terrible they're going. Um, I'm astonished at how quickly you're deserting the gospel, he says to the Galatians. Or uh, the Corinthians, this is lovely irony. You are so gifted, you Corinthians. And then he goes on to say gifted babies, but gifted. Um, well, Paul, with these Philippians, he starts off, by talking about how much joy they bring him. Every time he remembers them, he says, he thanks God, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. He thanks God when he remembers them. And every time he prays for them, he prays with joy in his heart. He prays with joy, he says, because they're partners with him. They're on his team. They have been since the time that Lydia invited him back home again. They've been with him on his team since they became Christians, praying for him, helping him, supporting him, sharing the message about Jesus themselves. He's thrilled by these guys. Verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Joy because they're partners in the gospel. He also prays with joy because he's convinced that these Philippians are fair income, born-again Christians. Christians who are going to stand firm till the end. Paul believes that their conversion to Christ was God's doing, God's work in them. God started a good work in them. And Paul reckons that God is going to hold on to them until the very end. Verse 6, Paul prays for the Philippians with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm one of those people who start projects. I'm full of enthusiasm as I go on yet another diet and exercise program. Or as I decide I'm going to take up a language and understand what Carmelina is saying to the kids at home. Or, or as I, I'm going to take up surfing and go and surf with my brother every week. And I start projects. But I don't often see them through. I'm still 10 kilos overweight. Still can't surf. Still barely speak English, let alone speak another language. I'm a person who often doesn't finish what I start. God's not like that. Not according to Philippians here. Can you see, Paul is so confident. If God starts a work in you, he brings it to completion. No half-made projects lying in God's shed. 
God finishes what he starts. In other words, if you are genuinely born again, if it is God who started the good work in you, then you will make it to the end. You will persevere. Paul prays with joy and confidence because he reckons they're fair income. And he goes on to say that he's justified in having these confidence. He's justified in being confident because they've got a great track record. Paul says, it doesn't matter what happens to me if I'm in jail or if I'm out preaching the gospel, you continue to share with me. You stick with me. You share in God's grace with me. You continue to trust in Jesus. You continue to partner with me through thick and thin. These Philippians have shown that they have the goods. That's why Paul's so confident God will finish his work in them. Verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For, for whenever, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Well, he prays with joy for these Philippians. As he thinks about the joy that he has in them, Paul can't help but go off on a little bit of a tangent and go... I really wish I was there with you. As I said before, and as Paul just hinted at a second ago, he's in chains as he writes this. Next week we'll see that he can rejoice about being in chains if, if it's in the service of Jesus. But reality is he'd rather not be in jail. Reality is he'd much rather be with the Philippians, with his faithful partners in Christ. He'd much rather be there encouraging them and being encouraged by them. He'd much rather, if he could put himself in the envelope and post himself with Epaphroditus rather than send a letter. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, that was a slight tangent, but now Paul comes back to the point. He's told the Philippians that he prays for them with joy and confidence. And now in this last part of the introduction, he tells exactly what he is praying. It's a bit of a long sentence, but let's take it step by step. Paul says that he's praying about their love. He's praying that their love will grow in wisdom and insight, knowledge and insight. So the thing about love is this. You need to be discerning about what you love. You can be a person full of love, really loving person, but if you love robbing banks, that's a problem. If you love bad things, that's a problem. But, but it's not just that we can love bad things, and this I think is more common for us. Sometimes we can love good things so much that we miss out on loving the best thing. So for example, you might love sport. That's fine. I don't get it, but you might love sport. But if you love sport so much that you never get to church, that's a problem. Or we can love our job. That's fine. That's good. But if we love our job so much that we neglect our families, that's a problem. You see, sometimes you can love the good too much and not love the best. Love needs to be accompanied by knowledge and insight so we can discern the best thing. And that is what Paul prays for these Philippians. Paul asks God to help their love grow in knowledge and insight so they can discern what is best, so they'll love the best things. Verse 9. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Paul wants a knowledgeable love, a discerning love, but not just so that they can know what's best, so that they can act on it. 
so that they can trust Jesus and live fruitful, righteous, godly lives, loving God, loving people. And as Paul prays, he prays with Judgment Day in mind. This might be the next time he sees them. He prays with Judgment Day in mind. He wants these Philippians to be standing there with him before God on that last day, pure and blameless, having, having loved wisely and lived fruitful, godly, righteous lives for Jesus. Verse 10 again, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Can you see the flow of the sentence? Paul wants the Philippians to love wisely so they know the best thing to love, so that they trust Jesus and live his way, fruitful lives, so that on the last day they'll be pure and blameless. And all this, says Paul, will be to the glory and praise of God. On that last day, as the Philippians stand there, pure and blameless through Jesus, they and Paul together will begin an eternity of praising and glorifying God. Verse 11, Paul prays they'll be blameless and righteous through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so there's Paul's introduction. Uh, to summarise, he's thrilled about these Philippians. He prays for them with joy because of their partnership with him in prayer, in ministry, supporting him financially. And he's joyful because he's so confident they are, that they are fair income, that they'll make it to the end. And he says he's praying for them, that they'll, they'll grow all the more in their love so that they can rejoice together at the last day. You know, as I read this, I can't help but think of us and wonder about us. I wonder what would Paul write to us? What would Paul write to us? How would Paul introduce a letter to Chatswood Presbyterian Church? Do you reckon we might get, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel? I hope not. Do, do, do you think he'd write to us with joy? Do you think he could write to us with joy about the sort of stuff he's, he's writing, uh, that, that he's got such joy about the, for the Philippians? Joy in their partnership in the gospel, joy that they're persevering. Well, let's think about those. What about that first thing? Are, are we partners in the gospel? Right through the letter we see different ways that the Philippians have partnered with the gospel. He talks about their prayer. He says a little bit later in this chapter, I'm convinced that uh, through your prayers what, what's happened will turn out for my deliverance. Are we partners in the gospel in prayer? Are we praying for each other? Are we praying for our ministry here? Are we praying for our community? Are we partners in that way are you are you part of this partnership i gotta say it thrills me whenever somebody says to me on i can't remember what it is in the latest prayer diary the 22nd or something like that somebody says to me hey i prayed for you today you're in the prayer diary that's fantastic someone is working through month by month praying for each person by name in our congregation that's beautiful how are you going can I encourage you, if you find prayer difficult, we do have some things that can help you. The prayer diary is an excellent resource. If you join a Bible study, uh, they're hopefully spending significant time in prayer each week together. We've got our monthly prayer meeting. We keep plugging it. A few of us keep showing up month by month. First Tuesday of the month here in church. It's just there. Prayer is real partnership in the gospel. You're not doing nothing when you're praying. In fact, you're probably doing 
about the best thing you can do. Let's get stuck in and do it. Uh, in this letter, Paul also thanks God for um, gospel workers who come from the, from the Philippian church. He talks a bit later about uh, some of the, the, the people in the church, like Clement and uh, some of the ladies who have been striving at his side for the cause of the gospel. Could he say something similar about Chatswood, do you reckon? Are we a church that raises up and sends gospel workers? Are we a church that encourages and equips our members to share the message about Jesus? I hope we are. I think in some ways we're doing a good job. We help and train our students and it's so encouraging. You can go to Queensland or Victoria or country New South Wales and there are people there preaching the gospel who we've participated in helping out. Uh, with Nicole Mannix and Matt Ham, people from our church who've been raised up, gone into ministry, Sean and Andrew heading off overseas recently. I, I hope this continues and I hope we are all really partners in the gospel as we share the gospel in, in our lives. I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret. It's something you might not like. Um, but I'm praying that many of our children will pursue ministry. I am praying that our children will reject our North Shore dreams for them to have prosperous, comfortable, lukewarm lives. I hope they end up all over the world serving Jesus, suffering for Jesus with us missing them. You might not like that prayer. I find it hard to pray for my own children. But this is, this is something that would thrill God. Also, the church in Philippi was a church that gave generously to support Paul's ministry. Paul thanks them for their support, financial support. Could, could Paul write something like that about, about us, do you think? Are we a church of people whose hip pockets are discipled? Uh, they say that Presbyterians have deep pockets and short arms. Is that true of us? Or are we generous and sacrificial in supporting the work of the gospel? Now, I know many of you are very generous in supporting the work of our church. Good on you. Thank you for your partnership. Can I encourage you to have a look on the back of the order of service at how we're going this year? There's still some way for us to go. Uh, remember also that uh, in a couple of months, Mission Day is coming. An opportunity for us to give generously to missionaries. Last year we gave nearly $20,000. That's great. Well, let's do even better this year. What would Paul say to us? Could he rejoice that we are partners in the gospel, in our prayers, in our ministry, in our finances? I hope he could. What about the other reason that Paul rejoices in the Philippians? His confidence that God will finish his work in them. Confidence based on the way that they've stuck with Jesus through thick and thin, sharing in God's grace. Could Paul rejoice like that about us? Is there evidence that we are genuine, born again, persevering Christians? Are we keeping on keeping on? Again, can I say, it's really encouraging to see people in our church who have done it tough face really hard times and are facing really hard times and yet are sincerely trusting in Jesus. I praise God for every evidence that he is finishing the good work that he began in so many of us. But not everyone who has been here is still here. Not everyone who has sat in this building is trusting Jesus today. And so each of us as individuals need to hold on. We need to persevere. Could Paul pray uh, right with joy to us? What about this last thing then, the, the, the Paul's prayer there at the end? Do you reckon his prayer for the Philippians is being answered in our lives? Are we insightful lovers? Can, can we discern the best thing to love? Are, are we living righteous, fruitful lives, loving God, loving people? 
will we stand before God on that last day and have people give praise and glory to God for us? You know, this modern world with all its advertising and media, it is working very hard to shape what we love so that we love stuff. So we love status and youth and beauty and wealth. I'm not complaining about it. People have got to sell their things. They've got to make us love them. It's just capitalism. But in this culture, we've got to think very hard and wisely about what we love. We need to love with some knowledge and some insight. We've got to, we've got to watch the TV and go, if I drink sugary water, it's not actually going to make me a beautiful young person who flies out of a Coke bottle. It's just a lie, an image that's being created. We've got to learn to love with wisdom and insight. And friends, if you live that kind of a wise, insightful, loving life, it's not going to make you top of the pops. It's not going to put you on a fashion magazine. It may not get you lots and lots of stuff. You may not be the most successful North Shore person out there. But on that last day, if you have loved people in the name of Jesus, then the true beauty of what you have done will be there for all to see pure and blameless, with people giving thanks and glory to God for your life and ministry. That, I reckon, is something worth living for, don't you? My friends, as I spoke to that, uh, that doctor on Wednesday, I thank God. Thank God for I thank God for a man who's partnering in the gospel, a man who loves what is best, a man who is serving Jesus. I feel the same kind of joy as I see many of you persevering, serving Jesus faithfully, that we're in partnership together I trust Paul could have written a nice letter to us, but we're not there yet, are we? So let's keep at it. Let's keep praying. Let's keep striving. Let's keep going until that day when we do stand before God and praise him forever for his mercy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for your wonderful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have begun a good work in us and we can trust you to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We pray for ourselves, Heavenly Father, that you help us to love with wisdom and insight so we can discern what is best so that we can be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.